0: I'm still feeling the anxiety. Like it's still talking to me, Um, but I know how to talk back to it. I know how to put it in its place. I know how to take that energy and place it elsewhere. And I know how to not let it stop me from whatever it is I'm trying to do. And those are the important pieces.
1: Alright, welcome back everyone to Lost and Searching, previously known as the Mindful Leader Podcast. Here in Season 2, we are focusing on the theme of stress and breakdowns and in line with that, today we're speaking with a woman named Bonnie. And Bonnie is an anxiety coach, but she's also someone who's had a lot of different experiences with a lot of different mental health challenges and a lot of stories of overcoming all of them. So today we talk a lot about anxiety and its effects, breakdowns and the effects of that and how to overcome and build back up from those breakdowns. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that if you enjoy the show, you can really help me out by filling out a survey that I am running. It helps me out immensely and you will be in for a chance to win a giveaway. More about that in the description. But without further ado, let's get into it
0: self-sabotage is our conscious and our subconscious resisting, you know, the conflict between the conscious and the subconscious and it's that resistance that we are trying to understand and overcome. How People become aware of how their minds work. What are their default settings? Do they tend to be overly optimistic or overly pessimistic? All of us have the same regrets when we die. All of us have pretty much the same regrets. Why didn't I live truer to my own purpose why was i swayed by other people's ideas of what i should do
1: many leaders feel that they have to be perceived as bold and strong and courageous and there's almost this thought that a lot of people have in which they feel they can't show others that they're weak but at the end of the day we're all human beings okay Bonnie, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been a while since we met now. We've been meaning to do this for a little while, so thanks a lot for being here with me. How are you?
0: I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I know it's been several weeks. We both had some things that kept kind of coming up, so.
1: Yeah, there's a lot I wanted to talk to you about, a lot of things um, within kind of your personal story as well as your professional journey that really resonated with me and I think will resonate with uh, with the listeners. So um, to kind of start that off, let's learn a bit more about who you are and what you do.
0: Okay, so um, I'm going to start. I had a a, a fairly tumultuous childhood, um, had some trauma that happened early on, um, and Was diagnosed, informally diagnosed with anxiety and depression fairly young in my childhood, um, unbeknownst to me. And then later in high school, I started having a lot of stomach issues that were, uh, you know, felt like nervousness, but later were... um, It was later explained to me that I had anxiety, but not before they put me on some meds that were, quote unquote, for my stomach problems. Um, And that's kind of what I thought that they were and later found out that it was an antidepressant meant to kind of help with the anxiety and depression that I was going through. And mostly related to perfectionism, um, high expectations of myself, high expectations for my father, uh, surrounding school. And what I really thought at that point, I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I managed to get through high school, did fairly well, and uh, went on to college for a little while and then had kids fairly young. Um, so I was 21 when I had my first son, and then I was about 24 when I had my daughter and I um, I experienced some postpartum depression after both of them, uh, much more severely after my daughter. I actually did spend some time a few months after she was born and inpatient, I had myself admitted um, because I was feeling pretty hopeless at that point uh, emotionally and um, came out of there and that really began this long roller coaster ride of diagnoses and many 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 medications um there was some talk therapy happening along with that that um i didn't realize at the time wasn't exactly helpful it felt helpful because i was going in there and getting to vent but uh, i sure. wasn't really learning anything to help me move forward yeah um and i just kind of thought that's how things were and i was led to believe that these issues that I was having was pretty much just a part of my, you know, kind of stamped on my identity and part of who I was going to be, and that there was no real hope of um, ever fully getting rid of of what I was dealing with or healing from it. it is a better way to put that. And so I kept living like that for quite a while and things got better and they got worse and then they got really bad. Um, I was actually a candidate for something called electroshock therapy in 2008, yeah, which I've is a fairly it. permanent, fairly invasive procedure yeah. um, and declined it uh, actually not because I was afraid of it so much, but because... I had witnessed a family member go through that and Mm. the recovery process is really not, um, plannable. So having two kids, I didn't know he was, I could trust to really take care of them for that indefinite period of time. And so a few years later, um, I contracted something. I say contracted because I'm not really sure how you get this illness, okay. <laughs> um, but it was something called Guillain-Barre syndrome and it left me paralyzed. Okay. It wrecked my life. Um, and I also call it the first part of my healing journey because it was really kind of like a collision of all of the things I had been doing for everyone else and the lack of things that I wasn't doing for myself, you know, basic yeah. self care. And um, I really was so focused on, so my husband and I had separated several years prior. So it was just me and the kids at this point. And uh, my oldest is on the autism spectrum. So I was managing his care, which was sure. entailed people coming in five, six times a week to our home, you know, therapy in school. Um, just dealing with the school in general and trying to get him the best care for him. And at this point it was summer and I was home and I was working from home. And that was before working from home was was really a thing as we know it now. Uh, 2011 is a decade ago. So, uh, there wasn't zoom. There wasn't, I mean, we had a virtual network, but it wasn't the same. Like I was able to log into the systems, but I didn't have that, uh, same level of support as people have now. Yeah. Um. And I everything just came to like a screeching halt. Honestly, because I was trying to work from home, take care of my kids, manage him, pay the bills, and the, uh. all I was focused on was surviving and getting through each day. Really. And I feel like the Guillenbre was kind of like one of those surge protectors that you have like in your sure. home. You plug everything into, and when it's overloaded, it just shuts off. And my body was just like, nope, like we're not doing yeah. this anymore. Um, you're going to basically, I probably could have died had I not gone, had that happened um, the way it did, because the way I was going, I was losing weight rapidly. I was just malnourished. I mean, all of yeah. these different things. I was taking all these medications on top of not eating properly. So long story short, I spent two and a half weeks in the hospital. Um, it was like having a stroke. And so I had to learn how to use my body wow. and my mind all over again. Um, and get them to work together, <laughs> mm. which was a pretty big challenge there for the first few weeks. Um, and then came home and tried to jump right back into my life. So, what should have been this massive wake-up call
1: yeah. was to
0: me was like, Oh, that was a blip. Let's figure out what we gotta do to move on. And I kept trying to plow through everything the way I had been for the past, you know, you know, 30 some years of my life. And It took me a little while to realize, but um, it was a huge lesson in letting, just being. Sure. But it took me several years to kind of catch on to that fact that plowing through your emotions and difficulties, um, although part of resilience um, does not make up the whole package of resilience and you really need to let yourself feel things and process them in order to um, actually get through them. Otherwise, we're just kind of stuffing stuff and this feels like hidden place for a while. And it does come out. I mean, it comes out in your emotions, it comes out in your behavior, it comes out in your body as pain, fatigue, and stress and breakouts and all of these other things and things like Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, Yeah,
1: and throughout this whole process, you're you're working right so from your 20s straight through to now through all these things you experienced and taking care of all the people in your life you were also working on top of all of that
0: i was um well i actually got fired three months after getting sick because my cognitive function i was working as an accountant and Mm. my cognitive function was that um like you and I could sit here and talk for an hour and I would leave the room and not only forget what we talked about, but forget that we even had a conversation. Oh wow! Um, So my memory was just shot. So I was able to do the things I had learned up until that point for the most part, but I was not able to process new information. So um, someone like I was working on taxes and things, I would get new stuff in and I like, wasn't, able to piece stuff together anymore and yeah. so i ultimately got fired and um had to apply for disability services to help me get the medical you know care that i needed and whatnot yeah
1: so, so i said so that must have been such a scary time because i remember um my my grandmother once in a while tells me the story of when she went through the electroshock the shock therapy that you mentioned and you like you said you turned it down but it actually had similar effects in the sense that she lost something like two years of her memory afterwards and it was this huge shock it was it didn't help her at all um and as well and so like those of us who feel like we've been through a lot, people like myself and some of the past guests that we've had on the show, things it, sometimes you hear stories like this and you just go wow, I actually cannot imagine how scary that must have been.
0: Yeah, it was the the soup the scariest part was coming home. So my husband and I, well that was I guess the first scary part was coming home. I'm I'm definitely one who has been up until that point been one but like try me try me try i got this no matter what it was no matter what was thrown at me i was like we're gonna do this figure this out especially when you've got kids um i think that puts you in a different position to you're in a protection mode too at the same sure. time where you you've got to figure things out for them at the very least so when i came home i was like i am still kind of in this i got this Attitude. That's how I managed to get out of the hospital as fast as I did. Okay. And but when I got home, my husband was—we had just reconciled, and he was leaving for Texas, which is several states away from where I am now, and um, to try pursue a job down there. And we were thinking about potentially moving at some point. Um, we didn't end up actually doing that, but for several months, I was home by myself with the kids in this body that did not function properly right so i could not lift a pot of water to make dinner i could not um, shower standing up like i had to use assistance with different devices or whatnot Um, i had to crawl most of the time to get up my steps because we live in a two-story home just use the bathroom so i had to very strategically plan anything that i was going to do that was physical i wasn't allowed to drive for three months because my reflexes were messed up and i think what kind of got scary was when my try me attitude was no longer was no longer working right, right?
1: yeah it's like not I enough could anymore not,
0: yeah i couldn't force my body and what i really needed to be doing was resting and taking care of myself and here i am going well if i just force my way through it if i just plow through this part if i just try harder and really realized that that was not it wasn't going to work sure um And I had to make a lot of adaptations in those first um, several months, probably six months. Uh, And then when I lost my job and my husband came back from Texas and wasn't working and um, it was kind of like, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? You know, how are we going to, I always say I, because that's how you know, sometimes my brain just, I take on the responsibility of everyone sure. around me and I'm still working on that That's something I've been working on um, for about the past four to six months is not taking responsibility for things or full responsibility for things that are not mine okay Uh, which might sound kind of funny to a lot of people who are like, well, so-and-so needs to take responsibility for their part or whatever. Mm. I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where I take immediate initial responsibility and I'm learning how to delegate and how to pass on responsibility to other people.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. So the thing that I'm working on is delegating responsibility or not taking on other people's you know, responsibility for other people's problems and emergencies that aren't necessarily mine. Sure. Um, Of course, medical emergencies within my family and whatnot, of course, I take on responsibility for that. But I noticed that because I didn't have good boundaries set in place with a lot of people, I was taking on stuff that wasn't mine to fix. And um, especially with my younger kids now, I'm learning how to help them solve their own problems, case in point, okay. and take care of this with somebody else that's responsible right now, aka my husband, like you need to go talk to your dad about XYZ because I'm doing this right now and he's in charge. Um, I've been the default parent okay. forever and now I'm learning how to kind of shift more of that over to my husband and ask for help and delegate. And you asked me what was scary and it was a lot of it was just the not knowing. Okay. What, what do we do? What's going to happen? How are we going to make it through this?
1: But you know, what's, um, what's really kind of inspiring to me, although I know when you're living through it every day, it doesn't always feel this way, but to me on the outside, what's so inspiring is that journey of successful progression, right? So even realizing, well, actually that means I need to make a shift learn to delegate, learn to give others responsibility, learn to help them take care of themselves, et cetera. That is a learning process. Whereas before your default would have been, I'll just do it myself. And for any anyone listening who's kind of an entrepreneur or a founder like you and I both are, um, that's a really important part of that, right? Because you cannot Absolutely. do and be everything. And I find that that journey inspiring but also interesting that despite what you've been through um you've still been able to recognize that and successfully work on that and a a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and different contexts are able to do that to me that's a really important point to hammer home because sometimes at least i know i've been like this especially when i was younger i would kind of go well, I can't achieve this the same way someone else did because I have this disadvantage, or I'm having this issue, or whatever other problem, and that's me putting a barrier in my own way, right?
0: Absolutely, and I'm actually—it's funny you bring that up now because I'm actually um, working on a new venture that an opportunity that was just placed in front of me last week to, by people that you don't say no to. That I can't really speak about the specifics yet. Okay, but I was like, hell yes. And then I woke up the next day. It was like, what did I just get myself into? I don't know how to do this. I don't know the first thing about that. I don't know what these like. I don't belong, like, imposter syndrome sit in hardcore. Yeah. And it's not, it, it's funny. You have to identify, identify it as imposter syndrome because although I don't know how to do any of the things that I'm expected to do or learn over the next couple of months. Okay. I have a great support team. There's a training program. I have to get licensing. Um, and I have a 100% success rate, right? Like I've made it through every other day and thing I've tried to do yeah. up till now with some level of success. Um, even if that means getting to a point where, where I'm like, okay, this isn't working out and this isn't the right thing for me. That's still a level of success. Like it's not a failure because you're learning about the stuff that you don't want to do but as somebody who has had so much um insecurity and uh unstableness in their life via um illness um, yeah. So I was multi- I was I was diagnosed with multiple chronic illnesses after having the Guillain Barré that ha- are still with me. Okay. And so my biggest fear isn't that I can't figure out the stuff intellectually or that I can't pass the test or that I can't do with these other people. It's that my body's going to fail me. Okay. And how what's going to happen if I get so far into this? I let go of the security I've got in place right now, where I know what I've got right now, and even though it's not ideal, it's so. Working, ish. Yeah. Um, but if I want to jump to this new level of success, a new level of um, of skills, a new level of yes. being able to make choices, yeah. favorable choices for myself and my family, versus only being able to do what's kind of handed to us or the bare minimum in certain situations, I've got it trust in myself and trust that the universe is going to catch me and is going to keep supporting me through this thing. Mm. When you make those hell yes statements, like I didn't stop to think at all. It was (laughs) like, it just flew out of my mouth. And I've talked (laughs) about this in other interviews where the best decisions I have made in the past two years. And even if I probably dig back further have been those decisions where I did not hesitate because that's something inside of me instinctually inner guide whatever you want to call that that um my intuition is yes. going take this like i'm not even giving you a chance to stop
1: yourself <laughs> yeah 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 your intuition is so powerful right it's so you you can feel that it's such such uh such the right thing to do that your intuition goes don't even don't even bother don't try to get in your own way i'm not gonna <laughs> let you do it and it's powerful right because it means you said yes and now what you'll need to do if there are certain things you don't know is learn them and that's going to help you grow too and obviously whatever this opportunity is congratulations by the way thank you um it sounds amazing so you know if it's made you that excited so that can only be good too so i'm not at all like surprised that that you know that was your response because it is a powerful response and it's one that makes you excited and it's one that's going to have an impact so i just think that's so so cool
0: thank you the biggest thing i have to work on now is shutting up my ego because my Mm. ego is getting in the way and not ego as people talk about it in psychology terms or like conceit or whatnot it's that it's that fear talk which is all this stuff that's telling me like i'm waking up with anxiety again now i'm an anxiety coach now yeah i'm waking up in the morning with anxiety at first it was irritating the the crap out of me because i'm like I teach this, what is happening? And it's like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to not only practice my skills, yeah. but master a new level of conquering my anxiety mm. so that I have more, I can teach and impact others with. I wasn't looking at it like that the first couple of days, the first couple of days I was like, did I make the wrong decision? Sure. What am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? Like at that point I didn't even know, like I didn't even know till Monday what it is exactly I was doing.
1: Yeah. Uh, nice. And I'm st-
0: still don't have a full grasp on what it is I'm going to be doing, but I know that I'm working towards that through this training program. Nice, But it's that ego that gets in everybody's way. That's that fear talk.
1: You know what is really interesting is that it only took you a couple of days, right? So from my perspective, considering everything um, that kind of you've needed to overcome and actually just in a way, a general understanding of what other people's fear ego, if you will, uh, tends to keep them back or how long it tends to keep us down or keep us in fear. The fact that it was only a couple of days and then you realize, actually, let me pick myself up from this and feel more excited. That's really, really encouraging, right? That is progress. That's great.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And and yeah, I mean, I spent so I quit all my psych meds in 2017 after an interaction with my doctor and I kind of skipped over that part. Um, I also skipped over the part where I had two more children. So I've got four now I had one in 2013 and one in 2016. Um, and in 2017 after having the same issues and talking to my doctor, he was like, well, it could be this one med you've been taking for 15 years. And I was like, I quit. I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I, 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 this is not the path for me. And that was another one of those decisions that I made very instinctually, like it flew out of my mouth and I, I walked out of the office and was driving home and I was like, what am I going to (laughs) do? I've been taking medication for 25 years and, or something like that, 20 years, 25 years. And I was on a dozen medications when I walked out of his office that day. Mm. It was like, All right, so I'm going to, you know, I know how to do that. And I don't recommend anybody quitting all of their meds simultaneously all at once or anything like that. Like, definitely do that with a doctor's care. But I had been on and off so many different medications over the course of 20 years. I knew how to titrate off of them and do that safely and what to look out for and who to call if something happened and all of these other, you know, important pieces that come in to play with something like that. But like I said, it was making that, it was like my instinct finally spoke up after so many years of intuition after not listening to it for so long and it changed the trajectory of my life. Like I had to learn how to manage depression and anxiety and all of these other things that I had been diagnosed with, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is how I ended up over, so I learned all of this and then about four months ago, started putting it into a a coaching program for other people, which is kind of how I got to where I am today. It's been a very strange up and down. And I think entrepreneurial people kind of get this, that it's never linear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) The path to getting here, even just the past year, was just kind of crazy. It took a lot of doing these kinds of interviews to realize people really wanted this information and that Mm. I could help them with it. And so but but you're right you're right about you know it it it's all that it's all that progress it's all that daily little daily actions that i've been taking for the past 4 years that allowed me to get to a point this weekend where i made this big audacious scary yes mm-hmm. and then started to panic but was able to recover from that fairly quickly it's still i'm still feeling the anxiety sure. like it's still talking to me um but i know how to talk back to it i know how to put it in its place i know how to take that energy and place it elsewhere and i know how to not let it stop me from whatever it is i'm trying to do yeah and those are the important pieces some of the things that i teach is once you've had severe anxiety um It's hard to get it to go away completely, right? And we're going to have things in our life, especially as entrepreneurs, people who are high achievers, that are going to make us feel anxious. Mm. But it's about what you do when that anxiety pops up that's Mm. really important. It's not about making all of the anxiety completely go away. It's about putting it in its place and saying, you know, thank you for being useful, but I don't need you right now. Sure. (laughs) I'm going to go do this. And you know what,
1: I'd really love to understand more is why we get that anxiety in the first place and where it can come from, right? And so to kind of go back to your story that you shared with us, um, one of the things you mentioned, there were a lot of things to unpack there, but one of them you mentioned very early on were having high expectations as a child and um, kind of unpacking or understanding our childhoods is one of the things i i like to do on this show where possible because our our childhoods have a huge impact on us and i only started learning this and really fully learning this maybe a year or so ago um and it seems so obvious to me now but i think a lot of us don't acknowledge just how much that childhood has an impact on us so talk to us a little bit more as much as you're comfortable to about your childhood, the expectations that were placed on you and how having those high expectations impacted you growing up?
0: So uh, like you, I did not realize until with the, probably within the last year, honestly.
1: Really? Wow.
0: Um, sorting through my limiting beliefs and kind of unpacking where those came from. And I'd been doing some of that work earlier on, but I... I'm not one who, like we talked about, I take on responsibility. That means I also don't place blame and guilt on other people for the most part. Like I don't, I, I tend to, um, take full ownership and sometimes more than my fair of ownership over certain things, uh, which is part of that learning to, you know, delegate responsibility and not take on responsibility for other people's stuff. So because of that, I didn't really closely examine my childhood. Like I had kind of left it where I thought it belonged. And it wasn't until kind of doing and talking to people and getting in, asking about my childhood. And I'm like, I don't really remember my childhood. I like, I remember bits and pieces, this stuff. I would start to remember things. And so one of the things that came up is um, I started reading really early. I was two and a half when I had pretty much mastered reading. Okay. Um, and my mom had taught me how to read really early, nice, <laughs> and that began. But you would think that would be really this really great thing that would put me like way ahead of everybody sure. else. And what it actually did was, unfortunately, alienated me
1: from mm, a lot of people. Really, that's interesting
0: because, yeah, back in the early 80s, so I was born in the late 70s, mm. back in the early 80s. Like the stuff that we have now, tablets and internet, like none of that existed. So like there weren't three-year-olds learning how to their ABCs, you know, or two-year-olds before they could fully speak, learning how to spell and all of these things. Um, all that had to be done manually. And so when I went to preschool early, I actually got bumped from preschool to preschool because I, my social skills weren't quite up to par because my um, intelligence skills were kind of ahead. Like it was this weird out of balance kind of thing.
1: Huh.
0: And... Because I talked about things that other two, three, and four-year-olds did not understand,
1: yeah.
0: I wasn't making friends. Um, Interesting. And I actually got put in timeout or something to that effect and eventually removed from a preschool because all I wanted to do was, quote-unquote, sit in the corner and pretend to read. And these teachers apparently did not take the time to see whether or not it was that I was actually reading or <laughs> it's not. It's very
1: strange. Obviously, we're not recording <laughs> yeah. my, my face, so no one listening can see this, but I'm pulling this very strange <laughs> face because that's really, real weird to me. That doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. And now, like the, now a day, is like something like that would have been detected by a teacher fairly early on. Okay. Like they would have probably investigated. I don't know. But it... It put very high expectations on me from my father especially. Okay. Um, and um it it started this weird thing where I kind of had to hide my intelligence because
1: mm. it didn't
0: I did not fit in. And I know this sounds so weird and I even having a hard time talking about this because I feel like it makes me sound conceited. Okay. But it put me in this weird Position where if I wanted to make friends, I had to be on their level, and that meant I couldn't necessarily talk about all of these other things because it made me an outcast. Like they didn't understand, and when people don't understand, it's weird, or they hate it, or they don't like it. That's kind of the go-to for a lot of people. Yeah, unfortunately, that's how we've got a lot of this stuff going on in the world. Um, Is because of you know misinformation and not understanding. But again, I don't. I didn't do it consciously, that I know of. Like it was kind okay. of just. I got quiet. I got. I was considered shy. I didn't strike up conversations with people. I didn't want those weird looks on their faces. Like there was all these different pieces of the child, that you know, I was labeled a nerd. You know, <laughs> all sure. of these things that. Um, this
1: was all still when you were five years old or younger.
0: Well, this was as I was growing up and even got into high school. Okay. um, You know, I didn't quite fit in. I mean, I got along with everyone, but it was like I was this different person kind of depending on what group I was with. Yeah. To fit in.
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, And
0: not anything wildly out of like my core values or anything. Like I wasn't doing drugs or drinking alcohol or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. But... This group of people, we talked about this stuff. When I was with my high honors crew, we could talk about whatever. You know, when I was with the band, we would talk about this. When I was hanging out with my friends that I grew up with, and we'd talk, you know, it was just Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it really started this long cycle of people pleasing in a way. Because mm. I didn't want to make anybody else feel bad for sounding too smart or <laughs> alienated because of that
1: did you ever feel like you fit in with anyone or were understood by anyone
0: not until well into my adulthood okay and i think that's what uh, not really probably until about four years ago to be honest with you Uh, because i was always shading or dulling down or keeping quiet a part of me for fear of being ridiculed in one way, shape, or form. Um, I felt that ridicule so strongly and all growing up that I just learned to not talk about certain things with certain groups of people. Okay. Um, And then what it ended up doing was causing my friend circle to get really, really small. Once I realized that I didn't want to associate with this group of people or that group of people or that group of people mm. anymore because I couldn't be myself, um, I my, my friend circle got really tiny with like a, a few people. And then um, because of social media, mm. it started to grow again okay. because I was able to actively seek out... It's like a giant search engine, right? Like you're you're meeting with groups of people that are interested in this or interested in that. And um, it allowed me to kind of... Pick and choose from afar and kind of check people out. Like, think about it. It sounds kind of stalkerish, but like sure. <laughs> on Instagram, like, you know, you can follow an account mm. for months without interacting with it if you really want to and kind of really yeah. learn about a person or interact here and there with a person and see what their response to you is. And if it's a favorable response, cool. And you get along with that person, great. If not, and they send something like way out left field that you're like, okay, I, I don't even want to try to understand that. Like, that doesn't, that sounds, you know, hateful or negative or whatever. Sure. I can just, you know, move on and talk to somebody else or whatever the case is. It's a little bit different than it was growing up in the 80s, where you had the people on your street and the people in your school, and you were fairly limited to the people that you could reach out to. So,
1: you know, what's really interesting is that so much of what you've just talked about resonates with me very personally a lot because. Exactly what you described of learning to kind of actually be yourself, uh, learning to be around people who accepted you for who you are, your friend circle getting very small, uh, not feeling understood by a lot of people and changing yourself as a result. All of that, like word for word resonates with myself some of which I've Mm. had in the past and gotten over some of it, some of which uh, I'm going through right now. So right now, my friend circle is tiny. It is really small. It is a handful of people. One of the best compliments I ever got was uh, by one of my best friends, and he said to me, you're the same person no matter what room you go into. And by that, he meant that whether I'm talking to someone in a professional setting or a close friend or a stranger, they always get the same person. Obviously, you might like, you know, change things a little. So like, I wouldn't swear like a sailor in front of a, a granny or something, you know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right. But you get what I mean. But oh, for, for sure. a long time, that wasn't the case. For a long time, I felt like I wouldn't be accepted if I wasn't putting on some kind of front. And actually, really recently, I started to feel like, maybe I am still putting on a front and it's so subconscious, it is so deep in my subconscious that I don't realize I'm doing it because I do feel misunderstood a lot of the time. And so what it's recently begun for me is this process of, okay, how do I recognize that I'm doing this when I'm still doing this? How do I come out of that? And that's still a question I I don't know because I have moments where I feel like I have, but then keeping keeping it up all the time just doesn't seem to happen and so you know what I'm really interested to learn from you is over these last you know you said four or so years what has that process been for you of actually kind of coming out of that or coming into your own skin so to speak and learning to be someone who feels more understood
0: so Part of giving up my meds um, in 2017 was this huge realization that I had no idea who the hell I was. Okay. Um, it, What did I like? What kind of stuff did I like to watch? What was I interested in? Because one of the unfortunate side effects of taking um, psychiatric meds, and again, I'm not deterring anybody or saying that they're bad. I know they're really helpful for a lot of people, but- my belief is they should be used in tandem with some type of cognitive behavioral plan um, or modification plan so that you can learn to um, reduce the impact these different mental illnesses are having on your life so that you're not fully dependent on the medication because lots of things can happen with medication. Yeah. So all of that being said, when I started weaning off and kicking these meds to the curb. Um, All of a sudden, so horror movies were like my favorite thing. Horror movies, mystery novels, like murder mystery novels. Like I used to be like read these things constantly. All of a sudden, I thought it was due to pregnancy with my third thinking like hormones or something. And here it was actually, you know, quitting, quitting these meds. What they do is they numb your feelings, whether it's the anxiety or the depression. They take the edge off. They numb them. They dull them down so that you're not as reactive to the different, you know, feelings that you're having, yeah. whether it's to raise your serotonin and dopamine up or to bring this one down or whatever the case is. Um, and when you do that chronically for so, so long, like I had, um, like I said, 20 plus years, uh, I was molding myself based on how I felt while being on these medications. So okay. when they were gone, all of a sudden I was left with raw emotion <laughs> Okay. and didn't... I had to learn how to deal with that and so like for the murder mystery novel stuff and the you know watching Law and Order all of a sudden I had no tolerance for that really like I was like the one who would watch the scariest movies possible and be like laughing and like I'd sit with my friends who were afraid of them and be like ha ha like waiting for the super scary part to come up so they would jump like this sounds really bad right now but like yeah no,
1: I get it I get you it you know yeah.
0: it was like it was enjoyable to me and then all of a sudden I was like oh I can't watch that oh that's making me sick oh like Like I'm having a really negative reaction to that and then kind of grappling with, was there something wrong with me? And what I realized was, it's like, no, there's not something wrong with me. I'm just not numbing anymore. Mm. I'm actually feeling what this would feel like to the real me (laughs) without all of this, you know, all these chemical interactions kind of hiding that. So that was the first part was realizing that um, I didn't know who I was. And that I basically had an opportunity to remember what I love to do and also recreate kind of my identity okay. as from where I was. Huh. Um, so the one thing like you don't want to do is try to, unless, um, unless you're going through like a severe case of depression or anxiety in the moment, you don't really want to look back and go, this is who I was. And I want to get back to that Okay, where you kind of. Sometimes when you've got depression and anxiety, that's a good benchmark because if you lose interest in your hobbies or people in places, that's a, an indicator that things are kind of severe and that you need some additional help and resources. However, if you're in a place where um, your, your anxiety and depression are in check and you're trying to kind of move forward... Um, you don't want to hold on to everything you knew from the past because of the fact that, uh, who I was in the past. I mean, honestly for a lot of people wasn't really who I wanted to be and I wasn't being true to myself. I wasn't listening to my intuition. I don't even think I knew what or could feel my intuition at that point in the past. Okay. So what I started to do, um, well, actually it was really interesting for me when I quit everything. Um, Things kind of the universe started kind of delivering me people and places and things and
1: opportunities
0: to help move me forward. Okay. So I was learning about EFT tapping. Um, I met my one of my now best friends, who was into a lot of the stuff that I was um, interested in prior to starting all these meds, which was the psychology of stuff, which was okay. you know learning about ego, which was the spirituality piece, mm. all of these positive things that I kind of left on hold when i felt like they were weird and nobody would accept me if i talked about them yeah
1: i know exactly Um, what that feels like yeah
0: yeah so i started re kind of allowing myself to reinvestigate and see if i was still interested in these things and it did turn out that yes i was and that i was really really interested in personal you know positive growth and progression and so I started watching YouTube videos from different people. It was like my first introduction to people like Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk and Evan Carmichael and my now mentor, David Meltzer. Um, I started doing yoga. Um, there were if anything that you can do that connects you to yourself. Okay. I can just kind of put a blanket statement on that. Sure. Meditation, yoga, um, breath work, listening to people who teach about spirituality and i don't care what, what religion or no religion just something where you're learning about you know how the higher power kind of fits in your world and what do you connect with yeah um, i think
1: the word connection there is really important right but you know what really right. stands out to me through all of this is you can start this at any time so now that we're kind of almost soonish coming up to the end of the year and the beginning of the new year the the topic of new year's resolutions is inevitably going to come up and for years what um i've been saying i'm kind of of the of the mindset that new year's resolutions are a bit silly because any day can be a time for resolution obviously if they help you to do it at the new year great at least you're doing it right but there's a reason a lot of the times it falls off is because you're doing it just because it's the new year Not because you want to do it. And in a really similar way, this sounds to me like, well, what this means is if you want to start to connect with who you really are and become more comfortable with that and become someone who's more understood, you can start to do the work towards that. Anytime you want, you know, we don't need to wait for a special event or a lot of people might describe like an awakening process. So, oh, a light bulb went off in my head or something happened to me that gave me the sudden realization. But you get to choose how you live every day. Right. And that to me is where you really take the power back in the situation.
0: Absolutely. Um, I totally agree with the fact that like every day it, it's that consistency too that we've kind of put into place for ourselves and that's why a lot of new year's resolutions fail is a because they're not doing it for themselves they're doing it because they feel like they should sure uh, not because they want to is to check off some box or to say that they did this thing or um they're not really committed to the process though they're they're committed Mm. to the the goal the end goal you know i want to lose 50 pounds or i want to do the but they're not committed to the process Mm. and it's for me what i've learned it's much much better to take um these small incremental steps sometimes that comes with a a huge awakening Mm. um there's several things in my life that happened. Like I said, with the game break, that should have been a huge awakening and really weren't like, I was so stubborn and so (laughs) thick headed that I was like, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. Like this was this, you know, this is going to go away and I'm going to be fine. And I'm going to plow through this. And, I can literally see that everybody has their own beliefs, but like my spirit guides, my angel guides, whatever you want to call them, smacking themselves in the head going, are you serious right now? (laughs) Like, is she not getting this? Like, what is it going to take? Like near death experiences have happened and she's still not grasping the concept of this is not the right direction. Yeah. Um, But... It's, it's that connection with ourselves and then this commitment to growing consistently. Sure. And th- sometimes those baby steps are way more beneficial than screaming out this large, audacious goal with millions of other people that we really have no intention of keeping. Mm. Because unfortunately, that process, um, honestly, for a lot of people and all those people who give up after the first three weeks of whatever this is, it just starts to um it starts to condition your mind now so we're jumping kind of from spirituality to psychology here but it starts to condition in your mind that i don't finish things i don't complete right. things i don't meet my goals i am not committed to this mm. and what happens is is the same people unfortunately year after year after year make the same commitments the same goals that the numbers may change a little bit um that the theme may change a little bit uh But because of all of the past prior years of not doing this, that's showing up in their daily lives for a lot of people and they get to the next year and they're like, this is the year I'm going to make the change. And they're trying to make this giant jump from who Mm. they've conditioned themselves to be to this brand new identity. And when they fall short, they're like, oh, well, that's okay that, you know, I, I, that was too big of a goal or, you know, that's not who I am or all of these different things. They're telling themselves to kind of justify why they're not doing this When Really what it is, is it's that conditioning. And I'm not saying don't set big goals. That's not what I'm saying here, but it's don't set big goals with the expectation that you're going to make this giant identity leap. You've got to make these incremental day-to-day changes. Um, Like if you want to run Say you want to run a marathon this year and you've never run in your life. Like you're not gonna put on your running shoes and run 13 miles out the door the first day. Like that's probably near impossible for most people. Yeah. But what you can do is start a walking regimen and then start a jogging regimen, like depending on what kind of shape you're in. You know, I'm not giving medical advice here either because <laughs> I'm in a very different place than than a lot of other people, especially um with rheumatoid arthritis. But for here's here's a good example. Um, right before COVID hit and everything shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, I had wanted to start walking, um, you know, X amount. Of, I think it was like 12,000 steps a day or something in that. I wanted to be able to complete a 5k by the end of the year. Okay. So it was just a goal I had. And the reason I had this goal was because I want I want to be up on stage. I want to be a speaker. I want to train as a speaker. And what I've heard is that it's extremely physically demanding. Okay. And I'm like, if I can do this thing, while I'm learning how to speak and meeting the people I need to meet, I can get my body in better shape for actually physically meeting the demands of be- being a speaker. Okay. Um, I did not immediately the first day walk 15,000 steps or run a 5K or even walk a 5K. I started by putting on my shoes and pacing my backyard and making sure I was hitting 8,000 steps.
1: Interesting. And
0: I've been doing that day. This is now what I almost two years into that process um now i'm high risk so i'm not running any races right now i'm not hanging out with people in general in person but i have consistently almost every single day hit my walking and my step goal nice In addition to that, I've added things incrementally. Like I started a stretching routine. Um, It started out with barely being able to bend to my toes. And now I'm working on splits, but that's over the course of almost two years. Sure. So like that's the part that people miss is the patience and the persistence Mm. and realizing what does setting this goal actually mean for my day-to-day life? Like they're missing that massive piece That's what puts all of these, you know, ultra high performers up above us. Into a league of their own, yeah. Exactly. Is that they? And what I'm learning from people like Brennan Bouchard, I was listening to him this morning to, to learn some more pieces of like how I can help myself and help other people. But it's that. That every single day, and my my mentor, David Meltzer, calls this the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential. And I can't tell you how many months it took me to actually be able to say that. What a tongue twister. <laughs> and it just rolls yeah. off his tongue. Like it's nothing now because of the practice that he has. He says it multiple times a day. But it is, it, you have to be consistent and persistent in the pursuit of your potential. So if mm. your potential is, you know, I don't even think I know what my full potential is, to be honest with you, especially after going through a decade of sickness and now working my You've way out of that. You've
1: it in a way, don't you? You've got to do... I do. And in some ways, probably need to decide for yourself what your potential is, right? That instead of, you know, I, I do think we sometimes fall into the habit, generally as human beings, maybe because of conditioning from our society, we wait for, almost wait for someone else to tell us what our potential is. If I got good grades and my teacher says, wow, you're going to go really far. They've set my potential. If I don't do well in school, even if it's for a great, you know, really understandable reason and someone says, oh, you're shit. And they set my potential really low. That's where, that's where I'll believe I am. I'm waiting for someone else to do it. One of the things that we talked about when we first met was um, accountability, and to me what this kind of conversation leads to is kind of the idea that we must be accountable to ourselves instead of waiting for someone else to hold us accountable to something it can be really helpful if you have a partner or a mentor or a coach or a business partner or a good friend whoever who will help hold you accountable so if i say to my best friend i'm trying to run a marathon and I need to set you know hit certain goals to get healthy enough can you help keep me accountable that's great but that's up to me to set that accountability right that's really difficult to do but accountability is a really important word here to me
0: I love that and I just I'm going to put a pin in that for one second I want to go back to what you said about people setting your potential and I absolutely love that and I'm going to take that with me as a lesson for today nice Um, I really appreciate you saying that because that's true. And something pops in my mind about Les. I don't know if you know who Les Brown is, but he's an international speaker. He's one of my top two favorite speakers. He's uh, rated as one of the best speakers in the world. Um, He was told, and I don't know, second, fifth grade, I don't know, some early um, elementary school that he was, it was called mentally Educably retarded, I think, if I pronounce that properly. Okay. Basically, his learning ability was set at this level, and he fully believed that. And that's what everybody around him kind of believed that he was never going to pass this level of education because he basically um, wasn't educable, I, I can't even say this word. Educable? Like they like wouldn't educatable? get Educable. Educated. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> I guess it's called educable. I, I, I don't know. I've heard him say it multiple times. But one day he went into a class to do something else for another teacher, and the teacher was like, come do this board on the, or problem on the board, and he was like, I'm not in your class, sir. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't say you were in my class. Come do this problem. He said, well, I can't because I'm mentally edu- you know, mentally retarded, basically. Okay. And all the kids start te- – yeah, don't you know who he is? Basically, he's stupid. He's this. He's that. And they're all saying – the teacher said, like, look, I'm right in the face, like, don't you ever – Say that again. Wow. Now come work this thing on the board. And from that day forward, just because that guy, that one teacher said to him, you have potential. He believed enough in himself to forget Mm. about what everybody else had said to him and was like, maybe I can do this. So I, I think as children... We definitely rely on other people to set our potential because that's what we're taught to do. Yeah. Like We go to school and they're like, if you don't do this, you're failing. If you do this, you're passing. If you do this, you're excelling. Yeah. Like everything's rated on a scale of how well we can do something sure. on a piece of paper, basically. I don't know, um, how, do, how well do we test?
1: Yeah, I don't know what the system's like in the States, but over here in the UK, in school, we have something called sets. So what that means is um, the higher your set, the better you are at something. So if I'm a set okay. one in math, I'm great at math in a class of other kids who are great at math and expected to get a's if i'm in the lower sets like set five or set six it might be it might be nice if i passed and me and all my peers in that class might pass and that might be the best we could do that we're expected to do and that's in every single in every single uh class and that's the norm that i i'm assuming the idea is so that you can get the help you need and you're with people who are at like quote unquote your level but i I always had a big problem with it um but the problem is that when you're in that system you can't do anything about it right and it does become a label Mm -hmm. well you can't talk to me about how to write this paragraph because you're in set six english and i'm in set two or three or whatever you know what i mean and so you're you're labeled from the get-go as smarter or dumber basically
0: that's really interesting. I'm going to be honest. I thought the U S had a screwed up system. <laughs> um, we definitely have the average classes where, you know, the, the regular, that all the kids attend. Um, and, and I'm, I'm only going to speak from experience from the schools that I either want to, or that my kids are in now. Sure. Um, but then they'll have like a They don't call it remedial, but there's a a program for kids that are struggling in reading or math specifically that will get extra help. Um, And then there's advanced classes where kids test into these classes and they, you know, are advanced in taking use. What I looked at, what actually what I saw last year, because my son was going to test for this. um, It's called enrichment and they give them Mm. more challenging work except it's more challenging work is in addition to the regular classwork. And I'm okay. like, no, nah, no, no, no. I was like, I'm not even getting myself. <laughs> like just <laughs> at this point for my second grader during COVID while we're at home and trying to maintain our mental health, I'm like, I am not adding any extra anything to our school day. And so we can get back to some kind of regular schedule. Yeah. I'm not even gonna say normal. I mean, regular schedule um, because that didn't make sense to me. I was like, the kid's not, he doesn't want to do extra work. He wants to do more challenging work. Mm. So I was like, I'll figure that out later. But apparently in some states now, they're doing away with what's called the GATE program, which is the gifted and talented education program, which they place these kids in. Yeah. And it, it, it is additional. It is isn't in addition to their classwork. But the idea is that the kids who are excelling are able to finish the regular classwork much faster than other kids so then they have time to do these extra projects it's kind of how in my mind uh it makes sense um i was engaged as a kid um and like i said uh, my now third grader will be tested at some point if they keep the program here but they Mm. did away with that in new york and i'm like i'm not sure what's all entailed i'm not i don't follow politics um but i i it seemed very strange to me that I'm wondering what they're going to put in place to replace it. If anything, that's all I'm going to say about that. Mm. Um, But back to your, your point about um, that kind of setting the, the pace really for your life uh, by somebody else. We are taught that in school. And unfortunately many of us don't then surround ourselves by people who are above whatever that level is. And aren't reaching for higher because we don't believe we have any business. That's like very like a introduction to imposter syndrome almost.
1: If you Ooh, look at it that way, it's like a I don't really belong here. Way of Thinking about it, yeah.
0: Why? Why bother? Like I'm not good enough to do that thing anyways. I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I'm working I'm, on an education yeah. program for kids, wow. and. Uh, I'm gonna save this and listen to it because nice. we've made some really good points here, and it's helping my thought process go in other yeah. directions of like how I can help these kids with their, uh, you know, emotional resiliency and um, yeah, and intelligence at a young age uh, because unfortunately. And I get it, right? Like when you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids in these school districts and whatnot, like they've got to have a way to figure out whether or not the kids are learning what it is they're supposed to be learning. Like they got to, they have to rate them somehow. But unfortunately, um, for a lot of these kids, okay, for example, I, I wrote a coaching program I know because of experience and because of what I've been learning that there's different learning types. So when I wrote my program, it's done in a a text format, a video format, and then you can also listen to it because there's three main types of learning styles are, you know, the reading, the audio, and the visuals, Mm. um, or having like the audio visual kind of together with like in a video. Um, And I didn't want to put a barrier in place for anybody who maybe doesn't grasp by reading or maybe who's dyslexic or maybe any of the number of things uh, for people who don't absorb by text. Now I'm somebody who watches a video and has to watch it like four times. If it's something I'm trying to learn because my brain doesn't process that information as well as with the text, which learning to read really early probably plays into that somehow. Or maybe that's why I was able to learn to read really early because reading just Things sink in for me way better when I'm reading, mm. um, so I think that's something that that is starting to be taken into consideration in schools, um, and that especially with you know COVID being a thing and these kids being at home, lots of kids were learning via video, and we were finding yeah. out that a lot of kids really don't do well with that, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of kids do do well with that. Like there's there was this kind of great divide of parents it was like this is not acceptable and other parents were like oh we're having a great time this is perfect for my kid he's flying through everything um interesting and so i think if we can take those elements somehow and incorporate them into the classroom at some point i know this all takes time that it would help
1: yeah but it would help
0: kids succeed at a higher level versus where they are now because their learning style is being addressed Mm. and um encouraged and enriched so
1: whereas what we've kind of got now with i think with this one one size fits all solutions we tend to have to i think to growing up in general um means that if something doesn't suit you you're left outside of it and what you said earlier around almost like being conditioned or taught imposter syndrome from a young age yeah. suddenly the the barriers we have to being our best selves and how common it is to deal with imposter syndrome, I feel like as as an entrepreneur and I have a, a really diverse entrepreneurial network, so people from disadvantaged backgrounds, for example, I remember um, when a business partner and uh, another friend of mine, they moved into a really nice area, right? Um, so really, really expensive area because they were doing really well. Um... And they're both from disadvantaged areas of London. And they, when they first moved in, they were talking to me about their imposter syndrome. And I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, what do you, or I kind of understood it. I was like, it makes sense. But I didn't understand until they talked to me about it a lot, just how deeply it was affecting them. And I feel like since then I've learned just how many of us experience imposter syndrome just how deep it is how much i've experienced it without realizing what it was and and i just think it's a real shame that we that 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 it's it's almost um expected that we we will not believe enough in ourselves but actually the idea that it's programmed into us from a young age makes it expected now suddenly now that we've had this conversation and i've thought about these things i'm like actually this makes a lot of sense that so many of us struggle with this concept and especially as leaders you know this show is aimed at at leaders um A lot of us who are listening might have experienced that it's a very good chance but that's kind of why i wanted to to mention that point earlier around accountability because unfortunately for those of us where we're not kids anymore and it might be a little bit late for us to you know to change that we can't go back in time one of the most powerful ways From my perspective, to start to shift that is to take accountability of yourself instead of waiting for that external, whether it's external validation is the word you want to use or someone else to set your potential. That's probably one of the most powerful ways of making that shift once you're in your adult life and you're needing to kind of reprogram, as I call it.
0: I agree um, 100 million percent. Um, Personal accountability is something I've been teaching my kids since they were little Um, and I don't think I really realized how powerful that was until the last couple of years. So my oldest is 21. He's actually going to be 22 in a couple of months, not to share too much of his personal information because he's also an adult now, um, but he's on the autism spectrum, he's got Asperger's syndrome, and having this conversation is actually going to help me with something that him and I were talking about earlier today, because now I'm realizing he's got his own imposter syndrome about this thing that he wants sure. to do when we were talking about. And I, it didn't dawn on me. It, it's funny how these things happen, yeah. and I'm really appreciative of our conversation. Nice. Um Because. So as somebody with Asperger's, he had struggled, um, hardcore with social cues, social identity, social, um, and for, I'm not going to do play this blame and guilt game on myself now. Cause I'm, I'm, that's something I'm working on, but I was doing the best I could raising him out mm. through elementary and then middle and then high school. And I was following mostly what I was learning from either the school, actually I fought quite a bit against the school, but there were some things I learned from the school. Um, and then a lot of it was the psychology I was learning with working from all, with all of the different people that were coming into our home, because not only were they teaching him cognitive behavioral therapy, but I was learning it as well, even though I didn't realize, really realize that's what I was doing yeah. at the time. I'm saying all of this because I spent so many years trying to him to get him to fit and this mold that the mm. school expected him to fit in. Yeah. And then finally was like, look, he needs a different mold. Yeah. Like He needs a different set of whatever. Like he doesn't fit in here and he's not, doesn't matter how much we try to manipulate him. He doesn't belong in this particular, whatever it is. And I ended up pulling him out of the school district and setting him. went to a couple of different schools. Um, and I, it took me, a really long time because here I was struggling with this myself thinking I needed to fit in the specific idea the society had of who I was supposed to be as a mother, as a provider, as an accountant, as a, you know, mm. care, all these different labels that I had. Um, I was terrified of getting in trouble and disappointing people. And that stemmed out of childhood yeah. from all of the different stuff that I, we talked about earlier. And because of that, I was like, well, we've got to get you to do this and you can't get in trouble. And like, I was putting all that pressure uh, subconsciously on him. Um, And it finally got to a point where I just said, look, this, this isn't how things work. This isn't how things are going to work. If you can't have, now he had an IEP, which meant he had um, certain adaptations and accommodations for different things, you know, with school. And I'm like this doesn't work for him. And if we can't find something that's going to work for him within what's reasonable for you, then he's not going to be here. Like my first, um, my first and only concern at that point started to be um, the quality of his mental health. Like I got to a point where I was like, not that I didn't think education was important because he had really big goals for what he wanted. Well, what he thought he wanted to do in high school. But I was like, trying to make him someone he's not. And I'm not talking about being polite. And I'm not talking about all these different things that that are kind of necessary to function in society. Sure. But things like making eye contact. There are all these other different things that really are not a necessity for survival at all. It's just people feeling like they're being disrespected.
1: Sure. And I'm like, yeah. "His
0: your ego is not his responsibility anymore."
1: Yeah. Yeah. It
0: never was. It just took me this much time to realize that's what this was all about. Was you're feeling a certain way about the way he's doing X, Y, Z, and it doesn't fit with your expectation. And yeah. now you think he's a failure. Well, he's not because he's excelling in all of these other things mm. that you guys don't even offer at school or that you guys don't encourage at school, like yeah. com- this re- computer stuff, all of that to say, this conversation is really helpful because I realized Good. that a conversation I was having this morning with him and the language I was hearing come out of him, unfortunately was partially my own fault, Mm. Uh, which gives me an opportunity to say, hey, I'm sorry that I taught you these things and I thought they were acceptable at the time. And I thought that that's what was best for you. And I was wrong. And let me help you kind of undo some of this. Um, But that also comes with some personal responsibility on his part, um, because it wasn't like it wasn't none of what what happened was intentional um, from my end. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've never gone back to my parents and ever said, well, you screwed me up. So you've got to fix this. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like they did the best they could. And now this is what I'm dealing with. This is how I responded to that. And now this these are the steps, the personal accountability that I need yeah. to get to where I want to get. And you know right? what really so,
1: stands out for me about that? as we start to wrap this up is although I think your son sounds like uh, because of the position that he's in and his Asperger's it's a really kind of clear example but actually i think a lot of us can resonate with this to some extent a lot of us are trying to fit into a mold the saying of of being a a square peg trying to fit into a round hole you know what i mean a lot of us are trying to mold ourselves and there are some parts that are instinctual you know they're instinctive i should say um fitting into society in certain ways because you know it helps with survival and things like that but generally speaking especially in the modern day there are certain things that we only adapt to because we feel pressured to not because we need to or should i know that was one of my biggest issues when i was uh, a young Well, i'm still a young person but when i was a child and in school you know that was that was very much one of my biggest problems it's like why can i not be myself when I'm in school. It was discouraged by teachers, basically, to be yourself. Yes. So I, I totally kind of get that. One final question I want to ask you to wrap this up. We've overrun a little bit, but I think it's been really useful. So hopefully listeners don't mind too much. The last question I like to ask everyone is if you could give your younger self one piece of advice. I know we've talked about a lot of things, so that might be really hard to boil it down into just one thing. But if you could give your, your younger self or even other young people listening just one piece of advice, one top thing, what would it be?
0: That piece of advice would definitely be, don't let life get in the way of living. And I know that sounds a little bit cryptic, (laughs) um, but it's something that kind of evolved over the past several months. Um, Actually, it evolved several months ago over the course of a few months of interviewing. And it it has to do with... um, like life's going to throw stuff at all of us, right? Like we've got, especially like, for example, this pandemic has been thrown at all of us. Like the entire world is is dealing with this in one way, shape or form. Um, But there's groups of people who have excelled and accelerated in this time. And there are groups of people who have decelerated or stopped or are completely paralyzed by what has happened, unfortunately. Yeah. And taking from that, Is um, how important it really is to work on our self-worth, our self-compassion and our self-identity and not letting all of the external circumstances dictate who we are or how we feel about ourselves and then to keep going. Yeah. So I hope that makes sense everyone. It does to make everyone. sense. I
1: love it. And I love that kind of thing. To me, that's not cryptic at all. To me, that makes a lot of sense. Living and life, you know, life is something that we're seeing as being thrown at us. Whereas living right. is what you do day to day by getting through that life, overcoming those challenges, doing what you enjoy. So not just dealing with challenges, but actually living, right? So that, to me, that Absolutely. makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for that. Some really powerful messages that came across today, Bonnie. Thank you so much for being here with us, for sharing all of that. Glad it was useful for you. And I'm sure it'll be useful to those of you listening. Bonnie, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.
0: Thank you so much. This was so wonderful. I appreciate you and you as well.
1: All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Today's episode is our last one for the season. Throughout the season, we've shared a wide range of stories and difficulties with a wide range of guests from a wide range of backgrounds, but I hope that they were useful for you and that you, through this show, have been able to feel a little bit less alone in experiencing any mental health challenges you might experience. Now, a very final quick reminder that throughout this season, we have been running a survey with a giveaway attached to it and i would love for you to go fill that out i'll be really running that and leaving that open until the beginning of season three so if you're listening to this and the links down below work then please go and give us some feedback but i've been seven this has been lost in searching thank you so much for being here throughout season two and the change of the show and uh, some of the breaks that we've had and i hope you're looking forward even more coming in the future, bigger and better. We'll be back, hopefully, pretty soon.